Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another Baseball America podcast. Uh, I am Carlos Colazo, hosting today's episode of another Prospects podcast. Today, we actually have Kyle Glazer running you through the Cubs system. Kyle did uh, a number of teams, but the Cubs was one of them. Uh, the Cubs are in an interesting point at, at this moment. Last year, they went 34-26, and 26, won the NL Central, uh, pretty competitive division last year, lost in the wild card series. Uh, but there's a lot going on in the organization, a lot of changes. The team obviously recently traded you Darvish away for a prospect hall. Theo Epstein has stepped down. Uh, so the state of the Cubs is kind of in a, in a bit of a jumble right now from the outside looking in. So we're going to have Kyle come in to kind of explain where the team's at, where the farm system is at, uh, how they're looking for, for next year and in the coming years. Kyle, how's it going? Uh, and I guess just what are your thoughts on the, the Cubs organization before we start coming into some specific players? The Cubs are an organization in transition. We started to see it last year. I mean, the most visible change, obviously, was David Ross coming in and replacing Joe Madden as the manager following the 2019 season. But even under the surface, you know, within the organization, there were some changes. We saw the Cubs bring in a new scouting director, Dan Kantrovitz. They hired a new farm director, Bobby Basham. He'd already been in the organization, but moved him into a new role. Former scouting director, Matt Dory, and former farm director, John Madison, remained in the organization in new roles. But anytime you have a new scouting director, new farm director, there's going to be some changes. And then we've just seen those changes really accelerate this year. Theo Epstein stepping down, the Darvish trade, Kyle Schwarber and Albert Almora non-tendered, which again, made sense from a baseball perspective, but just in the sense that these are two players that had been there for a while. You have Chris Bryant on the trade block, Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, Javier Baez, all set to be free agents after 2020. So you have a lot of change happening now and potentially more change with those three potentially leaving the organization after next year. There's just a lot of change and it's hard to make any predictions in terms of the future outlook because a lot does depend on what do they do with Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant and Javier Baez. And it's just, we just don't know right now. There's so many different factors. You have the pandemic and Owner Tom Ricketts came out and claimed, quote unquote, biblical losses. Again, some of those statements should be challenged, but the overall point is this is clearly a team that is shedding costs rather than adding them. And that's going to be a big driver of the moves they make in the major leagues. And we've already seen that be a major driver in the trade of you Darvish. Yeah, no doubt. A lot going on. And you mentioned a couple really superstar caliber players there that are going to be free agents in the near future. A couple of those names, interestingly, did not show up on the featured lineup for the Cubs. Obviously, what we like to do with the prospect handbook and just prospect coverage in general is kind of forecast the future and, and show people before it happens what the teams are going to look like in the future. But you, you want to dive in a little bit into kind of the future projected lineup for the Cubs and talk a little bit about the thought process and, and kind of what we're doing there. Because I imagine there were some Cubs fans that, that took a look at it and, and didn't see names like 
uh, Bryant and Baez in the lineup and, and we're a little curious, maybe scared is a better word. Yeah, no, it was kind of interesting seeing a lot of Cubs fans when we released the top 10 online, it seemed like a lot of Cubs fans, Cubs writers were parsing and dissecting the future lineup. And I realized I probably should have done a better job of explaining the thought process there. So normally what we do at BA just in general is we say, if you're in the organization and you project to be the better player, we're just going to put you in the lineup independent of free agency and all the factors there, because you never really know who's going to leave, who's going to be traded. There's always talk, but sometimes it turns into nothing. So a lot of times we just default to, if you're in the organization, we're putting you in the future lineup independent of free agency. And maybe we should have done it that way. I think talking through it with some of my editors and just overall looking at the general direction of the trend of the Cubs, given statements made by ownership, given the very clear direction this organization is taking in terms of cutting costs, we basically just said, okay, it's pretty clear that if they have younger players who could potentially be there in 2024, that might be the way they go. So in cases where there is a younger player available at one of those positions, we put the younger player. Ed Howard at shortstop, David Bodie at third base. The Cubs didn't really have a first base option, so we just left Anthony Rizzo there. There's not a ton of outfielders in this system. Ian Happ, he's their center fielder now. We kept him there. Realistically, maybe Brennan Davis is the center fielder and Happ moves to left, but there's not really a pure right fielder in the organization. So again, it's a lot of moving pieces. There are a lot of different ways. And again, we could have just said, hey, we're going to put Wilson Contreras at catcher. Javier Baez at shortstop and Chris Bryant at third base. And maybe we should have. Um, I think it was more a case of just, okay, if there's a younger player who can play these positions, we're going to put them there. And in the case of a guy, again, like a Rizzo or a Hap, where there just really weren't that many other options, we just left them there. That's especially true in the case of Rizzo. Yeah, no doubt. Obviously, a lot of moving pieces. Uh, it's tough to project with any certainty uh, being outside of an Oregon. <laughs> Obviously, we aren't the ones who are making the ultimate decisions on the players, but um, no, it's fascinating. I'm looking forward to jumping into more of these players specifically and seeing really who is capable of kind of coming up through the minor league system and joining the major league team and kind of keeping the Cubs in that competitive window that they've been. But before that, let's take a quick break to go to our sponsors. And we're back, uh, ready to dive into this Cubs system. So I guess before we talk about players individually. Kyle, how does this farm system stack up uh, compared to the rest of baseball? Are we looking at a strong system, a mediocre system, a weak system? Is it on the rise? Kind of where do you see it fitting into the general prospect landscape? Yeah, it's definitely getting better. You know, one of the things that really stood out to me as I was doing this system, again, talking to evaluators inside and outside the organization, running through some statistical analysis, watching a lot of video on these guys is it's actually a pretty good top five prospect group. When you look at this top five, it's a, it's a good group to work with. Braylon Marquez has an incredible arm from the left side, still young, not quite ready for the majors. We saw that when he came up this year, but there's a lot of talent there. His command was moving in the right direction during the 2019 season. And I mean, Cubs officials will openly tell you, yeah, this is the type of arm we have not had in our system for a long time. The Cubs struggles to develop starting pitching is, is no secret. The Cubs openly acknowledge that and are working to fix that. So I think that you start a system with a guy like him. Brennan Davis is a really, really talented young outfielder who 
He's a great athlete. He hit really well, shortened by injury. So it's only 50 games at low A, but there's a lot to like there. He did some really good things at the alternate site. I mean, these two guys are bona fide top 100 prospects, no question about it. Miguel Amaya has been in the top 100 before too. And you look at him, that looks like a major league catcher. And he did some good things in big league camp this year. David Ross had a lot of praise for him. Again, he's yet to play above the class A levels. He's not ready for the majors right now, but he made some strides defensively at the alternate side. And yeah, I mean, this is one of the top 15 or so catching prospects in baseball. He's going to be in the top 100 discussion. If he's not in the 100, he's certainly going to be close. Ed Howard is a really, really talented young player. Uh, Just speaking with evaluators, there's some uncertainty about what the overall hitting ability is going to look like. And some of that's a function of he didn't have a high school season, didn't have a chance to go play in the AZL, obviously, and only had three games and instructs. So it's not that people don't think he can hit We just don't know because it's been a while since he's consistently hit in game settings, but I think he will hit. We talked about it in our scouting report that there's a lot of things to like. So that's a really, really good, talented young prospect and a good first round pick. And he could certainly be in the top 100 a year from now. Then Adbert Alzale, the strides he made last year in terms of his pitch mix and just everything. I mean, it was the control. It was the firmness of the stuff. It was adding more pitches to his arsenal. I mean, the guy we saw in that final start against the White Sox, that, that's an impact starter. So you talk about top five, you know, four top prospects. And frankly, Adbert Alzale, the pitcher we saw in that final start against the White Sox is a top 100 caliber talent. We just have to see him hold that over a full season. That's pretty good. And then from six to 14, there's a lot of interesting guys you could see popping. Cole Franklin being first and foremost among them all the boxes you want to see checked for a young high school right-hander, he checks them. You add a guy like Reggie Preciado, who is the top player they acquired in the deal for you, Darvish. Again, it's a group of guys that you say, yeah, I could definitely see two or three of these guys really popping. So this isn't an empty system. It's just pretty much all at the lower levels. Eight of the top 10 have yet to play above the class A levels. And some of that's a product of the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, But at the same time, we still have to see them make the jump to double A. And really, it's nine of 10 because Braylon Marquez only really had that one major league appearance on the last day of the season. Other than that, he hasn't pitched above the class A levels as well. So it's a really young system. And with that, you're going to get a lot of variance, a lot of risk. Again, not all these guys are going to make it. But I think anytime you can start with a solid top five and you still have some interesting guys, six to 14, and behind them, there's a really interesting group of young Latin American prospects that they've signed on their own in addition to the guys they acquired in the Darvish deal. It's Again, it's, it's moving in the right direction. It's not a top 10 system. It's not a bottom 10 system. It's, it's still in the middle tier just because it's so young and there's a lot these guys still have to prove. But there is talent to work with here. It, it just might take a little time to matriculate. No doubt. And, and you did a good summary of just kind of going in, into why the top five is exciting. But I kind of want to go back to the number one player, Braylon Marquez, and just see how close Brennan Davis was to that number one spot. Obviously, Marquez has an elite fastball from the left side. But Davis, as you mentioned, really impressive player in his own right, plus power and run combination. That's always exciting from an outfielder. Um, so really, how close was the conversation at number one? Is this one of the systems where it was pretty obvious going in, you knew who the top guy was? Uh, was it difficult to kind of sort these players out? I guess, what's the gap between them in your mind? 
Yeah, so this was my first year doing the Cubs system. Again, just to kind of peel the curtain back how we do things at Baseball America. We like to change up systems, move on to different teams, talk to new officials, learn about different players. So while obviously my predecessor doing the Cubs system, Josh Norris, had left a solid foundation to work from, you know, I really tried to dive in and learn about these players without any preconceived notions. Again, watched a lot of video, but mostly in large part because the video is all a year plus old. We did get some data from the alternate sites and just in general what happened at Instructional League. But, you know, this is the type of year where you really have to lean even more than usual on scouts, player development officials, just because a lot of these guys, the improvements they made were behind the scenes this year. With that, there were some opinions that Braylon Marquez and Brennan Davis are 1A and 1B as opposed to a clear 1-2. With that, it was also fairly consensus that, yeah, Marquez is the number one guy. He's the guy in this system that, you know, has the highest ceiling and and projects to be, you know, the most impactful big leaguer just because you have a 97, 98 mile an hour fastball that gets up to 101, 102 from the left side. He separated out a slider and curveball at the alternate site this year, doing some pitch design work. Slider is now upper 80s and has some real power to it and is definitely a potential swing and miss pitch as he continues to develop it and be more comfortable with it. The curveball is more of a a slurvy mid-80s pitch, but it's it's another decent pitch for him. And the changeup keeps getting better. So we've got four pitches that are all moving in the right direction. The big question is control. Again, we saw the major leagues. He was not ready for it. It's a work in progress, but we saw it trending in the right direction enough in 2019 and he showed some good things at the alternate side as well. Where again, is he a 100% starter? No, but I think everything's moving in the right direction enough that you still feel good enough about it. And I think all those factors together really made him kind of the, the fairly clear number one. Having said that, Brennan Davis is not super far behind. Again, the opinion out there does exist that it's more of a 1A, 1B situation. And when you get your prospect handbooks, you'll see, you know, we put the grade and the risk on all our players. It's only a half grade of difference in terms of what caliber of player they project to be. Brennan Davis is very, very exciting. Uh, He was a basketball star in addition to baseball in high school. And despite the multi-sport background and maybe not having as much baseball experience as some of the other players, he came right out and adjusted really, really rapidly and and had a really, really strong showing at South Bend in his first taste of full season ball. And when you see athleticism, you see production, he made a lot of positive strides at the alternate site this year. Again, it's all good. There's nothing to bang the kid on. Again, just Marquez has also done it at a higher level, getting up to high A last year. So again, there's a lot to like about both these guys. They're both top 100 prospects. There is some separation, but it's not enormous. And the Cubs can feel pretty good about, hey, these are the top two guys in our system. It's a better top two than quite a bit of other top twos, especially when you look at other teams in the back half of our organizational talent rankings. Awesome. With them being kind of a 1A and 1B situation going on there, how would you kind of do the next tiers? How would you lay those next tiers out in the system and how how deep, I I guess, would you say they go? Yeah, so this was the clear top two, Marquez and Davis. No one else really got any support for being in the top two. I mean, this was the very clear top two, no questions asked. The next group, if you will, is the three to five, Ed Howard, Miguel Amaya, and Albert Alzaway. This group, I 
talked to a lot of different people and these three were ordered in three different ways a lot. There were some people who said, hey, the way Alzole grew this year, we're looking at a right now major league ready mid-rotation starter and that's a pretty rare commodity. He should be three. Other people looked at Ed Howard and said, this is a tremendous athlete with an incredible glove and just immense athleticism, defensive ability, and mature beyond his years. You trust in all that. We think the bat's going to come around and that could be a foundational type of shortstop. And still others said, hey, it's so hard to find catching. Miguel Amaya has power. He swings at the right pitches. He gets on base. The defense is coming along. You know, the scarcity of catching, he should be the guy. So ultimately, Amaya got the nod just given how impressive he looked uh, in big league spring training, the positive reviews from, from David Ross, he was on the record with the strides he made defensively at the alternate site, uh, the scarcity of catching. Ultimately he got the nod, but if you wanted to argue Ed Howard should be three, I don't think that's an incorrect opinion. I, I think it's totally valid. Um, and, and Albert Alzale as well. These were three really talented players who, as, as I mentioned earlier, all have shown you things where you say, yeah, this could be a top 100 prospect. Yeah, Howard is a really interesting one. I kind of want to dive into him a little bit, just having a little more familiarity with him as a recent draftee, obviously covering him pretty extensively before he was drafted. I'm kind of curious as to what you're expecting from him offensively uh, and, and just the question marks there, because I think that is kind of the the big question with Ed Howard is how much is he going to do offensively? As a, as a draft prospect, he was the – pretty much unanimous top defensive shortstop in the class. It was not a great prep shortstop class by any means. Just him and Carson Tucker went in the first round. Um, I did talk to some people who preferred Tucker to Howard because they were a little bit more convinced uh, that his hit tool was going to progress. But at the same time, Ed Howard had uh, a bit of bad luck with 2020. His season never got started. He could never really prove it um, during the spring. But at the same time, I don't really know how much he would have moved the needle with his bat considering the high school pitching that he would have faced if he did have a high school season. Um, I think the Cubs is an interesting fit because they have done such a good job developing hitters. Although most of the, um, the bigger names that they've developed recently have come from the college side, but I don't, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't be able to do that with a high school player. So just what was your general sense of the offensive upside and maybe his, his chances to become an average hitter in the future. Yeah, I spent a lot of time digging in on that. And the range of opinions was extraordinarily wide on what kind of hitter Ed Howard is going to be. And again, a, a big part of that is didn't get a high school season, didn't get to go out and show what he could do in the AZL. As I mentioned, instructionally, it was only three games. The Cubs were very, very happy with what they saw. Uh, they think he has a chance to be a, a potential star. And I think with Ed Howard and the type of hitter he projects to be, again, the, the range on you know just the pure hit grade, it was anything from 40 to 55. The power projections were anything from 40 to 50, you know, that adds up. There's a big difference between a guy who hits 260 with 16 home runs and a guy who hits 240 with eight home runs. So I think for us, what I ultimately settled on was give this kid the benefit of the doubt. You look at the swing, you know, the athleticism, uh, the work ethic is elite. He's, he's a baseball rat, loves the game, puts in the work. So 
ultimately I leaned, okay, let's give this kid the benefit of the doubt. And the most optimistic all around projection I got in terms of hit and power was at 260, 15 to 18 home run range. So let's, let's say this is the optimistic projection. But then note that given the work ethic and given there's just so much we don't know about how he progressed this year, make sure to not leave that as this is the cap that will never get any better than this because this is the type of situation where big growth, this age range, mm-hmm. uh, great athlete, great work ethic, where this could be a guy that surprises you. No doubt. I'm really excited to see kind of what he looks like in a year or two. I mean, he, he did show all the traits that you want to see of a guy who could become a good hitter. He had bat speed. He had some bat-to-ball skills. He had a projectable frame. Um, at least pre-draft information, it was kind of, yeah, he just needs to maybe refine his approach a little bit, grow into some of his strength. But, yeah, he's definitely a guy who I'll be um, watching pretty closely. But kind of moving on from this three to five range, how do you look at the next tier? How deep into – or how deep outside of the top 10 would you say this, this second tier extends if it does? Yeah, yeah, as I mentioned, it's a clear top tier with the number one and two guys. Three to five is the next tier, and it really opens up. I mean, realistically, from six to 14, you had players that Cubs officials and out-of-org officials said, oh, he should be in the top 10. Well, it's like, well, we've got nine guys for five spots, so how do I cut this down? You have a group of guys who there's really just a wide range of opinions on, Cole Franklin and Ryan Jensen, who checked in at six and seven, you know, they were pretty consistently the guys of, yeah, they do need to be in the top 10. Talked about Franklin earlier, an arrow up guy, and as someone that I know I'll be very interested to see what it looks like next year when he jumps into a full season again. He's only thrown a little over 50 career innings, so we have to see how everything holds up over a full season. But again, just given three pitches, now the breaking ball's coming along, the body, the control, the pedigree there's a lot to like there. And Ryan Jensen, a lot of power. I mean, just a lot of power in that right arm. Even if the control doesn't come, some people said they thought he could get to above average strike throwing. Other people said they didn't think it'd be more than fringe average. And that's something that's going to ultimately determine whether he's a starter or reliever. Just the pure power in his arm, the athleticism, uh, the slider, there should be a major league role for him somewhere just as long as he continues to develop. Again, there's split opinions on what those guys are going to be, and they have a lot to prove, but there's a sense they should be in the top 10. Uh, and then you just got wide ranges of opinions on Christopher Morrell, Chase Strub, Riley Thompson, Corey Abbott, Burl Caraway. I struggled a lot personally not putting Corey Abbott in this top 10. Um, I think he has a very real chance to outperform some of the guys on this list ahead of him. Burl Caraway, big arm from the left side. It's relief only, but you like the arm strength. Being able to see Burl in college, I mean, when he's on and actually putting the ball over the plate, I feel like his stuff definitely plays in a big league bullpen. And it looks like that in Chapel Hill, the one time I got to see him. But obviously the control is a little bit scary with him at times. So that would be just a fun arm to see in a major league bullpen. Yeah, again, there's talent here. Ultimately, Christopher Morrell, the strides he took at the alternate site, Chase Strump just stood out during instructs. You know, that got them on there pretty solidly. Then it came down to Riley Thompson versus Corey Abbott for that 10 spot. And it just consistently came back. Thompson's the guy and couldn't ignore that. So that's how the 10 shaped up. Abbott and Caraway are right behind them. 
There's some love for Luis Verdugo as well. Cole Roterer was a top 10 prospect last year. Pretty consistent that he's dropped a bit, but we'll see what he looks like next year. He's another guy I'll be curious to watch. And now you add in Reggie Preciado, who was acquired as part of the U Darvish deal, and to mm-hmm. a degree, Ismail Mina and Jason Santana as well. Yeah, I was about to ask, you probably should dive into this Darvish trade hall and just see kind of how that changes the system, where these guys slot in, because we couldn't have had a, a more perfect trade in, in the sense of uh, the writer being responsible for both <laughs> prospect systems. So you are well-equipped to line these guys up and, and just know where they fit with each other. What do you think? Of, I know you've talked about this trade previously. What are your thoughts on the package uh, and, and kind of where do you think these guys fit in the system and what should Cubs fans be ex- expecting from these guys? Yeah, so we broke down the trade in depth on a trade podcast I did with JJ Cooper. I encourage everyone to go back and listen to that to kind of get the full view of everything. The short version is the Cubs took on an enormous amount of risk. Um, even the evaluators who love Reggie Preciado and Ismail Meda, Jason Santana, and Owen Casey all say, hey, we like these guys. If you're going to take a risk, these are the guys you take a risk on but you can't take that much risk for you, Darvish. And again, it's not really an upside versus proximity debate because the Padres had guys with equal or greater upside who are also closer. In terms of the guy who will potentially make me and everyone else eat their words, it's probably Reggie Preciado. He's going to go into the top 10, eight to 10 range, could be higher in a few years. Really, really talented, instinctive young player who he's already close to 6'5". His official listing is a little shorter than that because that was what he, his height was when he signed. He's grown since then. So he's nearly 6'5". There's room to fill out and projectable power there. Good feel for contact as a switch hitter. Ultimately, it's just going to come down to how does this guy's body fill out? Does he become big and huge and become a corner guy who's reliant on power? Is he going to stay sleek and quick enough to handle shortstop? We just don't know. He's 17 and has yet to play a professional game. And I think it's important to note that with all these guys, because they're so young and because they're so far away, there is a lot of discussion still about which one of these will be the best guy. Preciado was the highest ranked of these in the Padres system. I felt comfortable with that ranking, but you can find people who say they're not as high on him and they prefer Ismail Mina. You can even find people who say they prefer Jason Santana as a twitchy middle infielder who consistently gets the bat to the ball and has actually performed. He's the only one of these four who has played a professional game. So they were all bunched together in the Padres system. They were all 15 to 20 range. You know, in the Cubs system, again, Preciado goes 8 to 10. Mina, it's probably 10 to 12. Again, I need to dive in a little more on some things, but that's where he slots in with Santana. It's probably in the 14 to 16 range. And Casey is a very talented, powerful left-handed hitter who's very young. He didn't get a chance to play during instructs. I was hit by a pitch on his elbow when he first got to instructs with the Padres and suffered a hairline fracture, and that kept him out for the rest of the fall. So... Didn't really get a great chance to see what he could do where he is right now, but he was very well regarded out of the draft. The Padres brought him to their alternate site. Where again, he's just super young, so it's hard to read into too much of anything that happened there. Again, there's talent here. It's Mm -hmm. just they took a lot of risk. Even the biggest supporters of these guys, Preciado, Mina, et cetera, I mean, it's unanimous. Yeah, the Cubs needed to get someone more advanced back if you're going to trade you Darvish. And that's where the finances came in. Clearly, the Cubs wanted to shed the back end of his contract. And thus, they accepted this package, which 
again, it may work out in time. There is absolutely a chance, again, that four or five years from now, Reggie Preciado and Ismail Mina make us all look like idiots and mm-hmm. make us eat our words. Like, again, 100%, none of us is omniscient. But I think just given the Cubs still have a talent base in 2021, given how far away these guys are, given the risk, given that while all talented, even the biggest supporters of these guys, no one sees them as an elite prospect. The people on social media saying, oh, the Cubs got nothing back. No, that's not correct. People on social media saying the Cubs had nothing in their system, so they should have taken whatever they could get back are also not correct. It's neither of the extremes is true. It's the Cubs had some guys. They added some interesting, more lower level guys. It's just whether those lower level guys were equal to you, Darvish. We'll see how it plays out. But what do you think moving forward should be a focus for this farm system? Not that teams are in the business of hunting for uh, the number one farm system in the game. That's obviously not the, the goal. Um, but kind of looking at it, where do you see the weaknesses or, or what do you think this farm system needs for it to maybe take a step up and, and look a little beefier um, in terms of turning players into major league uh, producers and, and, and players on a big league club that can help them actually win games at the big league level? Time. I mean, that's really what this farm system needs more than anything is time. The Cubs have a really good group of international prospects. They've done a really good job internationally. You know, you go back to Eloy Jimenez and Gleyber Torres back in 2013, scouting those guys properly and putting forth the financial investment needed to sign those guys. Obviously, neither of them played a game for the Cubs, but they identified the right guys, they paid the right guys, and that's half the battle. Their 2015 international class is looking really, really good with Braylon Marquez, Miguel Amaya, Christopher Morel, three other top 10 prospects. Isak Paredes, who's now the Tigers starting third baseman, was part of that class. And their most recent classes look really promising as well. They have a lot of good young international middle infielders in the system. They just all have either not played a professional game or haven't played above the rookie levels. I talked about they brought in Dan Kantrovitz, who was really, really highly regarded for his work with the A's and the Cardinals. I think he had a really good first draft. Again, it takes five, six years for these to play out before we really know, but you get Ed Howard, a really, really good shortstop. You get two left-handers with big stuff in Burl Caraway and Luke Little. You add a guy in Jordan Nwogu, who was one of the best hitters on one of the best college teams in the nations, and also a really good athlete with tools. And Colin Moreno is a really interesting young pitcher. So I thought that was a really good draft, bringing in more talent into the system. And you add the four players in the Darvish trade, who, again, are all talented at the lowest levels. So there's a lot of talent here. Again, it's just all at the lowest levels. It's international guys mm-hmm. who have yet to play a pro game in some cases. It's draft guys who have yet to play a professional game. It's these four players in the Darvish trade, three of whom have never played a professional game. So there's talent. It's just going to take time to matriculate. And and whether that means the Cubs sign a few players to bridge the gap after 2021 or submit to a few lean years before these guys are ready, if they get there at all, we'll see. But but this prospect group, again, it's, it's 2024, 2025 before you say, okay, yeah, they're ready to all be in the majors, make an impact. And with this big group of guys set to be free agents after 2021, there's going to be a one or two year gap at minimum that they're going to have to address. Yep. I guess kind of after going through the farm system, what's your sense uh, as we sit here in January of just the Cubs overall outlook moving forward? Yeah. So, I mean, given the NL central appears down across the board, again, the Reds are retrenching the Brewers looks like they're hitting the end of their kind of cycle here, though we have to see what offseason moves they make. 
Uh, the Cardinals so far are holding steady. The Pirates are rebuilding. As long as the Cubs still have Anthony Rizzo, Javier Baez, Chris Bryant, Ian Happ, Kyle Hendricks, and Cubs uniforms, they should still be competitive. And again, we'll see what they do with Wilson Contreras. He's part of trade rumors right now. They will need to add more starting pitching. You start with Hendricks and Davies. If they use some of the money they save from the Darvish deal to go add another starter or two, I think that bolsters their outlook. I don't know if they'll do that again, given all the signs about how much they're trying to cut expenses. But there is talent here, and I do think they can potentially contend. One thing that's more big picture, I think, needs to be pointed out as we deal with, hey, this probably could be the last year of this run of this group. and There might be a couple lean years after it, depending on what the Cubs choose to do. If I told any Cubs fan at the start of 2015 that they would make the playoffs in five of the next six seasons, produce an MVP winner, a Cy Young Award winner, an MVP runner-up, a Cy Young runner-up, and above all else, win a World Series. If you got all of that, but the trade-off was the next five or six years after that might be a little lean, Every Cubs fan alive would have taken that trade. And the ones who say they wouldn't are lying to you. This has been an incredible run of success. The Cubs didn't do anything wrong. Sure, they made some moves after winning the World Series that didn't work out, but I really don't think any of their thought processes were massively flawed. I think the only one you look at and say that was a mistake at the time was was trading Eloy for Jose Quintana. And this isn't hindsight. You can go back. J.J. Cooper, John Manuel, and I did a podcast about this when the trade happened. If you're going to trade Eloy, it needed to be for a pitcher in a higher tier. And we saw that later that summer, what it took for the Astros to acquire Justin Verlander was a lot less than what the Cubs had to give up to get Jose Quintana. So that was the one misstep. But a lot of their other things they did, signing Craig Kimball, it didn't work out, but it wasn't a bad move. It just didn't work out. You know, they traded prospects to add more guys, Nick Castellanos. Again, right move. Castellanos played well. It just didn't lead to the wins the Cubs might've wanted, but I don't think it was a bad move. So again, I think this was a really, really great run that again, I just go back to, this is what happens. It's hard to sustain success and the Cubs have sustained success longer than most other teams. And even though this is a transitional period, and even though there might be some lean years ahead, and even though Cubs fans right now are angry, I just go back to, if I went back to opening day 2015 and said, the next five or six years would look like what these five or six years have looked like, and the trade-off was the five or six years after that were going to be a little lean, every Cubs fan alive worldwide would have said, sign me up. Well, there you have it, Kyle. Thanks so much. And thank you all for listening to the podcast. These are always fun to do. If you haven't gotten a Baseball America Prospect Handbook, if those are done, they're going to be coming out on uh, the next few months, I believe. I think February is uh, the time when those will be shipped around. You'll start to actually get those in your hand. So there's still time to pre-order your Prospect Handbook if you haven't yet. Um, we're prepping for the 2021 season here. A lot of preview content coming up. Updated Top 100 list is coming. Uh, our first combined 2021 draft list is coming. The college guys are hard at work. Uh, getting ready for the 2021 season and previewing everything you need to know about college baseball. So it's an exciting time. The new year is always a very exciting time here at Baseball America, a very busy time, but um, we really do thank you all for listening. We thank you for reading. We thank you for subscribing. Um, And until next time uh, for Kyle, I'm Carlos Galazzo. Thanks everybody.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.